the amount of women that were there were strong, intelligent people. And I was proud to work with those people. Being a mom in, in I think, any industry is hard, but in this industry, it's very hard. Hello, and welcome to the Theater Art Life podcast. Sponsored by Harlequin Floors, world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. The Theater Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Ana Aguilera. Bonnie Helen is joining us today to talk about project management and live entertainment. Born and raised in upstate New York, Bonnie has a BFA in technical direction and project management from Purchase College. She started her career trying to juggle being a mom and having a career. Eventually, she became a project manager for PRG, helping set up the PRG Asia division to later work for PRG Scenic Technologies. She also project managed for Shock Studios, Inc., before pivoting to work as business manager for Catskill Custom Carpentry, Inc., so she could be closer to home. After seven years as a business manager, she returned to the industry as a project manager for PRG Scenic Technologies and acted as senior project manager for two years before pivoting back again. Bunny currently teaches theater technology at SUNY Purchase. Hi, Bunny. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Let's um, hear that all over again, but in your own words. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so grew up in upstate New York, Rensselaer, to be exact, which is directly across the river from Albany. So I'm an upstate New York small town girl. Went to Purchase College, which was like my first time really getting out and about and away from home, uh, which was a, a little bit of a shock to me, but I loved it. Got my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in Technical Direction Production Management, as you said. And graduated pregnant with my son. So um, as soon as, almost as soon as I was home, the October after I graduated, I was a mom. So um, starting off that way was not my plan. It was an interesting dynamic to to learn that entire to to go to school for theater and then go. Okay, now what am I going to do? And I'm a go getter type person. So I I applied to and and reached out to places that that my fellow students uh, classmates did and. Started off working as an assistant to Barbara Puck at Puck de Montenol down in the Bronx. Then it, it was too expensive emotionally, physically, um, distance-wise to be down there. So came a little bit more upstate to my comfort zone and was a project coordinator at Scenic Technologies. Uh, worked there for a couple of years. And then a theater consultant that worked at PDO started his own business, asked me to business manage for him. Uh, so I worked for him for a period of time. And then went back to Scenic Technologies again and kind of grew from there. That's always kind of been my home base. Worked there for several years until I was pregnant with my second son and realized that I didn't want to commute uh, when, I was, when, I, when he was a baby. So then, I, I, as you said, I pivoted be to become a business manager for Cats Custom Carpentry, which is right here in Kingston, New York, which is where I live now. It's a millwork company. It was a shop. It was something I was familiar with. It wasn't theater, but... The shop environment really fit for me, and I got to learn an entirely different side of business, HR, uh, managing the company as a whole. And then I missed theater. So after seven years, came back to PRG Scenic Technologies, project managed for a couple of years, was promoted to a senior project manager, as you said, and then COVID hit. And during that time, I realized what, you know, as I've said a couple of times, that with, with 
having children that work started to take over my home life, my mom life. So I recently pivoted this summer, decided with no plan at the time to to take a pause in in the career that I have, have been doing for so long to be more available to my teenage son, Aiden. And while I'm doing that, Purchase College, my alma mater reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to teach. So I'm there now. I teach Tech One, uh, two classes, and I supervise production. And it's great. In a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a huge decision for you to say no more. And I don't know what's next, but I need to change. Yeah. Thought about it for a while. And then I don't think I ever thought I would pull the trigger. Like it was something that was in my mind when you start to realize how much, how much of yourself you're putting into your work and you want to do the same thing as a parent. Um, and I wasn't, I couldn't because I had so much devoted to what, what comes with project managing, especially what comes with project managing, um, theater for a company as large as PRG, Scenic Technologies. So I, I think I saw the writing on the wall one night when I couldn't, almost couldn't finish dinner and have a conversation and then not have to jump on an email or jump on a phone call or jump on a conference call. The spark kind of, kind of lit for me that I need to, I need to be able to get off, get off of a, get away from my dinner table and sit and have a conversation or watch Netflix or do something with my teenager versus having to get right back on a computer and right back on a phone call. So yeah, it was a big, big decision. I'm glad I made it. It, it happened in July. I'm glad I made it. It was scary, but I'm doing well and I'm thankful. That's, that's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said what comes with project management and what is exactly what a technical director or a project manager do in this kind of scenarios. Could you describe a little bit what your really career experience is based on how, what do you do? It's funny. I, when I went to school for technical direction, I thought I would be physically working in a theater. I don't know that I knew that my path would kind of go and then turn to one side. I decided, I think as I was, as the ball was rolling, that, that the management side, the actual project coordination management side of, of uh, where my path started to go with Scenic was something I was more interested in. So it started just assisting project managers. So you get to see someone's laying out a budget and a schedule and their client correspondence and their, and how you're going to, to go from the bid So when, when a project is, is brought into your company, whether it's an entire show, whether it's a part of a show, whether it's automation, just the show deck, all of the scenery, whether it's a corporate event or a Broadway show, the management and the plan for all of that is, as a coordinator, I would assist someone and have to lay out the schedule for them or do the purchasing for them. or And then, then as I was doing those things, I started to realize, wait, I want to do that. I want to be... I like to plan. I like to lay out. It's, it's like, it's like managing. I, I, I've told my students now, if you can manage your life, you know, your life is, I got to get up in the morning, get myself cleaned up, have my coffee, make sure that I'm on time, make sure that my bills are paid, make sure that I can get from A to B logistics, know what's going on tonight, know what's going on tomorrow, know what's going on a week from now, what's going on a month from now. That's project management. We do it for our lives every single day. So if you can if you can simplify it in that in that context, that's what I was doing for Shock Studios. That's what I was doing for PRG in my project management hat. And then I was managing more and more and more monetarily 
scopes were getting bigger. Originally, I was doing a lot of, of smaller scopes all at once. So you could keep piling on and I would balance all of those things. And then I said, you know what? I want to try to do larger schedules, larger projects, larger monetary value because I could do, I know I can do all these little small ones and do them well, but I want to do something larger than that. So that's, I, I was lucky and was given the opportunity to be a senior project manager at PRG because I was able to do all the balancing of the smaller scale projects evolving into larger. And then I was balancing larger projects and was doing it well and was really good at it. So you said that you tell your students that it's basically like managing your day to day. So what are to you the project management 101? Do this, don't do that. Oh, that's a really hard question. It's, I feel like it should be a simple question. It's a really hard question. Do's and don'ts. I don't know. Don't overthink maybe like I'm trying to do right now. Like don't overthink, keep it, keep it basic. You're, you're, you have your different aspects. What, as soon as a, a show is awarded to, okay, in my instance, to PRG, when I was working at PRG, a show's awarded to you. The first thing you have to figure out is the who, what, where, and why, so that you can lay out like, who is your client team? Who are you responsible? Do you, who you're speaking to? Is it the design team? Is it the production team? Is it the, the team that's on site? Usually it's all of those people. So you have the correspondence part of it. Then you have the scheduling part of it. How am I going to, to, to take it from the moment that the trigger is pulled? And you've, you know when your loadout date is, how am I going to fit it into that amount of time? How am I going to schedule it in? And amongst all the other people that are trying to schedule their things in to the, to the same resources internally for the company that you work for. And you have your money. You have to balance your money. You know where, how much money they have, how much money you've bid, uh, what you're, you're responsible to stay within. And then you try to do better. It's about, you know, you're, you're going to the gas station down the street and it's, it's $3 and 50 cents a gallon, but you know, you're going to go a little bit farther and you're going to get a little bit cheaper balancing that out. Does that make sense? Is that the viable way to go? Am I going to spend more to, to save more? So it's, it's, it's schedule, it's client correspondence, it's the monetary side of it. And then it's logistics. How am I going to get from A to B? How am I going to get this thing to this place? And then when I get it to this place, how is it going to get from that, from that vehicle, from that means, from that sea container in, into that space, the team of people it's going to take, any of the gear that they're going to need. So I guess the one-on-one of it is, is looking at all the different elements, the, the schedule, the money, the team, the logistics, and trying to keep those things as communicated as possible, whether it's to your superior, whether it's to your peers, whether it's to your shop, whether it's to your on-site crew, and making sure that you're doing it timely, efficiently. And, you know, it's funny and not like, over explaining, not over. I mean, when, when COVID happened, it was interesting when, when it comes to the 101, I was sent home. We were working from home. And you realize you don't have all the resources of the people that are right there. So you're trying to take a bunch of things and summarize to keep people that are now all over the place it honed in on the same information. Does that make sense? Like for each person. So that was really, I mean, I've been doing this for a really long time at that moment for the projects I was working on, trying to be as efficient to go, okay, I know that this work is happening now, and but it, it's stopping. So I have to summarize that. I don't know when it's going to start again. So I'm gonna do, we're going to do little bits, and we're going to communicate with who we can communicate, and then we're going to summarize that again. And then everything stops. So that in six months, I can come back 
and look at all my one-on-ones, look at my lists of all the things, the money, the schedule, the, the, the plan that I had then and see if the plan still fits now and remind everybody what we were going to do and then start up again. And, and so many people forgot the, the, what, the who, what, where, why's and how's of the easy plan that we had when it was something that was going on all the time. So that was, that was an interesting dynamic to the job, I guess, to, to realize the, when you asked me about the one-on-ones in that moment, I realized what you, you take advantage of the fact that you're sitting in an office and you can walk out to a shop floor and talk to your crew, or you can jump on the phone. You don't know where anybody is because everyone's home. Everyone's, you know, the, the world is shutting down. Um, so, so coming up with, with the individual plans and to see if you're the, the tools that you use, the schedule that you use and the email templates that you use before work in that instance, the one-on-ones I feel like are, are there, but they change depending on the circumstance. I think you do touch on very important keys and like communication and adapting the way you communicate to make sure your message is being received as you need it to be received by the parties that you need. And um, I feel like as a technical person, sometimes we miss that part a lot, like the communication part and in general, the management skills. I don't know if it's only personal or my personal experience, but I see that a lot of technical people are thrown into management positions without training or knowledge. Not that they're not capable, but that they just don't have the tools to do the job. No, it's true to communicate clearly. Yeah. Cause you're, you know what you know, and you don't not, it's, if it's something that you're not typically responsible for, you don't have to sit down and, and send those emails or make those phone calls or whatever you have. There's people that do it with you or for you or whatever. You're, you're right. And how does that, how have you taken that into your classes? You, you said a little bit about managing your day-to-day life, but how does your entire experience now reflects on your job that you do teaching? Well, it's, what's interesting is going back to purchase. I have never, I don't say I've never taught before. There was, a, there was a period of time when I was working at Catsco Custom Carpentry and my son was in high school and I would go over to the high school and I would work with the students because Kingston has a pretty significant theater program, mostly on the performance side, not necessarily on the scenic side. Um, they allowed me to come in and work with the students to teach them how to build scenery. So there was that, you know, the, the bonniness. I got to go in and be me and, um, and mom and silly and stuff and be in there and make kids feel safe. And they were constructing these, the scenery for the shows. And some of the kids had never touched a tool before. So going to purchase and now taking my career and taking my, my degree and my time there and going, okay, this is what I did 25 years ago when I went to school and trying to feel out what what people seem to know and then teaching them what my, my understanding was of what my syllabus was to to it, it was it's interesting because i felt like some students should know more than they did so you're trying to let me just say i respect teachers so much more than i ever did before now that i'm in the shoes because i took when i was invited to work at purchase I took someone else's syllabus to start off because it was something the, all this change was happening um, really quickly. I decided to leave PRG. The person that was teaching tech one had decided that they wanted to go back to their career. So I was filling into a space very, very closely to when the semester was starting. So I was able to use somebody else's syllabus and drawings and stuff and then make it my own going into the school year. So looking at time management, looking at scheduling, 
talking to the kids about those things, but also knowing how the department worked. It's a, it's a conservatory school. So it's, it's a concentrated, very, very busy uh, program in amongst all the classes that everyone is taking. So trying to understand where people were at in their ability to schedule and their ability to time manage and their ability to, to budget. So look, working in the class, the tech one class, and then working on the production side of it, was a very interesting feat in both because the classwork I had whiteboards everywhere. I can I can draw stuff out. I can explain how processes and things happen. When it came to the production side, which which I've been I'm now supervising, I work with the technical directors specifically. That's my role in reviewing their drawings and reviewing their budgets and reviewing their timelines and reviewing their manpower. And it's interesting because it's not corporate America. So they have a, only a certain amount of time and they have their deadlines. Not to say that they can't, I had to teach them what a change order or was because no one knew what a change order was. I used the expression, they're like, what is that? So I explained, you know, the, a scope changes. So, you know, you, you're asked to do this. They want you to now do this. They want you to change the color. They want you to put more molding on. They want you to do something differently. You can go back and, and say, it's going to cost this much to make that change. And I went, oh. Well, in college, you can't change order anybody. You have this much time to do this much stuff. So trying to teach them how to talk to each other. The designer really, really wants this, but you don't have the time or the money to do this. So negotiating those things, which is what in in my job, I don't want to say it became easy. It wasn't easy in the beginning, but to understand clients and to understand certain clients don't want to pay for changes and other clients understand that that's what comes with the territory. As with the students, it's trying to be able to give a set designer who's graduating that year their vision and their and their show. And I don't know that I saw it as much when I was a student there as much as I do now that I've had twenty plus years of working in the industry. Going back and trying to just come back to basics and make sure they understand how it works because that's my job now is very interesting and fun, but interesting and keeping it light. I don't think people. I'm a very lighthearted person. I like being a lighthearted person and letting everyone know that it doesn't have to be stressful and angry and finger pointing and stuff like that, which it has a tendency to be. I think it was when I went to school and I see it now and trying to go, no, 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 it's not necessary. And I know there's certain theaters you can walk into and certain places you can go and there are hard people. And I'm being a lighthearted person, I had to roll that back a little bit. But that's that's been an interesting thing too, is to say you can be lighthearted and you can be, you know, thoughtful and, and concise and, and precise when the work that you're doing. But it's, it's interesting to change the path that I could do it corporate wise to academic. It's interesting. And I, and I enjoy it, but it, it took a little while. It took me, a, I, I want to say like a month or so to kind of roll with watching and observing and then go, okay, I can say this, I can do this because the kids are, they, they want it. They want to know how to do things and they want to know how it works in the real world which was an expression that I tried not to use because the real world is their world being in school and being in the theater and being in the, in the, in the scene shop and in the electric crew. And in the, in the, that's, that's real world. So I would try to not use that expression. Like, okay, you're not, you're in the real world now. It's just different when you're getting paid <laughs> and you're not paying to go. <laughs> and now a moment for our sponsor. The Theater Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. 
Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. Talking about things that have changed, how have you seen the participation of women in technical roles in theatre change over the the time you've been active in, in the industry? I don't know that it's changed enough. I wish there were more women. And I feel like I was really proud to be a senior project manager at at PRG, I was proud to have have worked hard enough to be recognized to be promoted to that role. There wasn't in the time that I was there. I was back for seven years. In the uh, when I just recently left, I had been there for seven years. There weren't a lot of women in PRG Cine Technologies as a whole. The women that are there, and I, I mean this, I mean specifically to the scenic and not and not speaking about like HR and all those other people that are like in the office, the front office related side of it. But the the amount of women that were there were strong, intelligent people, and I was proud to work with those people. I know that there's even when I'm out and about, if I'm I'm on a job site, I feel like the the number of men to women the ratio is not as much as I would like it to be. Maybe it's just because people don't know that women don't know that it's a job that you can do, but the women that I have worked with, and there's more, like, I'm thrilled that the, the ratio of men to women and, and for technical directors that purchase right now, there are more, the women outnumber the men. And I'm like, yes, because not that the men are doing a great job too. I just want to see that. I want to see them like someone get bit by the bug that I was bitten by and go, I can do this for a living. And, and how do you get that word out? Like I think about that sometimes when I look back at my high school that I didn't have theater in high school. I discovered it my senior year on field trips that we went to, to Albany for the New York state theater Institute. So there are schools and now they have rent since renovated my high school and they do have a theater program there, but how do you get the word out to kids that, that this is something that we can do and, and women specifically. So I always feel pride. And, and like, even this conversation with you, like to be able to talk to other women in the industry, strong women in the industry. I think, feel like when you and I met, we hit it off. Like you, 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 you kind of are, are drawn to people that love it like you do and want to, and want to learn from it and want to be the best at it. And I wish, I wish for more always. I feel like we always do, but I wish for more. I want to see more women recognized. I want to see more women in senior positions that earn it and are recognized and are, are seen by it, you know, seen for, for what they have to contribute. Like you did answer at the beginning saying that it hasn't changed a lot, which is a little sad. But on the other side, I'm super happy to hear that in your specific program right now, uh, female outnumber male. And that there's that. <laughs> well, there's some progress. And uh, another question I wanted to ask, you mentioned a little bit of 
how you started your career at the same time as you started as a mom and balancing that. And if for us as women, it's hard to get into the industry and, fi and find our way as a mom, I don't know how that even looked like. Like, I have no idea. It's, you know what, I was really young and I think even with the, with the degree that I got, you, you had to find the resources to do the job. So maybe I'm not putting that in the correct context, but I hope so. So what I mean by that is I knew that I had to make it work. It's the way I was raised. It's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be successful. It was, it, and, and I made the choice to pursue that. So the first thing I had to do was look for resources. How am I, how am I going to succeed doing this? And what do I need to do that? And I found out that every city has a daycare council. And I, as I was researching, I needed daycare. I had a baby. I was going to be working pretty far away from where I was living. And I needed someone to care for my baby. And at that point, in the research that I did, I found a, an at-home daycare in the, you know, the town over from where I was. And I would drop him off there. But even that stress, trying to get there, make sure, and every mom knows this, you're trying to put yourself together in the morning to get it in the car, to get out the door, to get your child, baby, teenager, or you know, out you know, to, to wherever they have to get to. So early on, it was like, I'm trying to get this baby in the car. I was, I was a single mom to start off for the first five years. So it was just me. So trying to get myself ready, trying to get Brandon in a car seat, get him to daycare, get down to work for Barbara try to make sure that you're not rushing because I was an assistant. So I'm, I am ob obligated to work for the person that hired me. Right. So at the end of the day, I know that I have to get back to daycare at a certain amount of time, or it's going to cost me more money if I go over that amount of time, which is what every daycare center is. And so you're trying, and then I see you have, you have a commute and then God forbid, there's going to be an accident on the way home, or there's going to be any kind of traffic. And then I'm going to be even later. So You're trying to balance, you're doing a good job, but as a parent, your, your child is always in the back of your mind. And it's still to this day, I have a 25 year old and my, my youngest just turned 16. And as I said, I changed my life for my youngest, but you're trying to manage what you're doing career wise. Your kids are always there. What, do, what do they have to do after school? Did, you know, are they doing their homework is, you know, do it. And my son is now in sports. So the nice part about the change that I made as I'm available to him But every parent, every mom and dad, but specifically for me, you're always, you're in the now and then you're in the yesterday and the tomorrow <laughs> all at the same time. And I think everyone is, but you're, you're, it's doubly and triply and so, you know, depending on how many kids you have, you're always in a hundred different places because you, you can't just take care of, you're not just thinking about yourself. You're not just trying to take care of yourself. So it was, it was hard when I was younger and then I figured out how to make it work. And I felt pride in that and was successful to the point where, I mean, I, I, you, you talked about my resume. I rambled about it when we first started, but I've, I've put my toe in a lot of different pools, worked in places for, for a small period of time or long periods of time. But I feel like I'm, I'm a well-rounded person now because I had those opportunities and my kids have been there to support me. And now I feel like it's my turn to support at least my youngest. I did well with my oldest and he's off doing his thing. But COVID just was so messed up, I think, for everybody. And, you know, yes, I did it for my son, but I think I actually am now looking at it. I did it for me. 
I think there's a lot of people out there too. They're saying, you know, there's like statistics. I think now about people are, are leaving their jobs to make changes. COVID, I think wake a lot, woke a lot of people up to, to your, you know, taking care of yourself and taking care of the people that you love and the people around you. But yeah, being a mom in, in, I think any industry is hard, but in this industry, it's very hard. And what do you think the industry as a whole or the employers could do better to support their people, people that have families or women that want to start a family? I mean, I, I really think it should be for both. Like starting a family, I think it's it takes two to tango. Yeah. But um, what what could the industry do to support families and women? You know, it's funny. It, it, I almost just said it. So, so you decide that you yourself, you and your, your partner, you and your husband, wife, you know, whatever you decide you're going to have kids in order to, you have to, you, you decide that you're going to go back to work. I mean, that's, that's step one. When I had Brandon a million years ago, I got my, my 12 weeks. He was three months old. I had to go back to work. That's torture. So the world as a whole, like the ability to have that time to be home with your child is so important. And at that point I had, my mom was able to help me when I first started off. And then I, cause I said, I found good daycare, but if you're not, if someone is not going to stay home with a child, so, so sure there's the HR related stuff for the, for the child family leave and, and things like that. But there's also a world where the resources that your employer alone could give you. These are the daycares that we know that are around here. These are the resources that you have for those. I feel like almost as much as they're going to provide you the, the paid time or unpaid time or whatever it is to have somebody be able to tell you as an employee in that space, what is available, like whether they, I don't know, as a mom, it's up to me to go, okay, I live 45 minutes from work. Am I going to drive my child with me 45 minutes? Like if, if work had daycare, there was a world a million years ago at, at PRG where they researched getting like, what would it, what would it look like to have daycare on site for people? And it's an insurance nightmare like that. And that's, that's the hard part is like, you're going to have kids, you have to make a space that's safe, that you have the indoor and the outdoor play areas. You have all those things that it's, but insurance companies, I think that was, I, I could be wrong, but as a mom that was watching like the conversation happen have to have daycare on site would have been great. At that point, I lived really close by and to be able to walk in, especially because it's a corporation, it's an international corporation, that would have been nice to have the ability to have daycare there. You know, even like at Purchase, there's there's a daycare center on site. And there's also like early childhood education that goes along with that. So they, they're making an edu educational opportunity too for the teachers and, and the students at the college. But having the resources like that, something as simple as daycare goes so far because if you don't know, like the two things I think that cause the most stress are daycare for babies and after school program for, or before and after school for when your kids are of school age, because depending on what your hours are, you, you obviously are obligated to your employer, but where am I going to drop my kid off before school? And where am I, where's my child going to go when, when school is done until I get home? are insanely crazy. And, and I was lucky that because I knew that there were daycare councils, even when Aiden was little, when I decided to stay closer to home, he worked, he went to a woman's house when she, and she had a daycare center in her home. And there was a bunch of children there. And I had never, had never sent him to like a large childcare center uh, because I liked the dynamic of that. But 
that's, I don't know how much employers, I, I could think about it more and give you a more educated answer, but that's one of the hardest parts about being a parent and working period is, and, and Amy COVID raised that too, is who is going to take care of my kid while I'm at work? And how am I going to be able to succeed in doing that? And what is that going to cost? And, and am I going to work to pay for the daycare for me to be at work? And then does that balance out? Because I have a lot of friends that had kids and decided that they were just going to be working to pay for daycare. So you go, okay, how do I, how do I stay home with my child or not? And, and that's the hardest thing. You know, I went to school to, to, be, to have a career and I wanted to have kids. So, you know, you're making a choice to, to have a career or raise a family. And I chose to do both and I've succeeded. I think knock on wood, <laughs> they both turned out. Okay. But that's the thing watching, watching the struggle that has been the past couple of years with, with what's been going on in the world, the mom hat, you know, you take the work hat and you turn around to, to be the mom hat. That was what needed to, to take precedent. It's hard. And it made me sad. I didn't want to do that. But I don't know that there was anything, it wasn't enough money. You know, it started to be about money. And then I was like, it's not about money. It's about time and, and presence. What is the thing that you wish you had learned earlier? Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's funny. I have like all these little sparks of answers. How to stand up for myself, maybe? Because there's, there's times where, I've said this to peers before, I want to speak. I, I don't like confrontation. I'm a happy rainbows out my butt person. I, I don't like confrontation. I don't like arguing. I, I, I want, I want to always be professional and, and articulate. And there are moments in my career where I've wanted to have conversations with people. And I feel like this happens a lot with women that you're labeled passionate or you're labeled a bitch or you're labeled you're labeled. Let's just stop there. You're labeled more conversations than not. When I have felt that I've gotten to the point where I want to say something, I could feel tears coming. And I feel like it's, it's like you get so mad and then, cause you're trying to fight back tears cause you're feeling passionate and you want, because I, I don't want to speak up and I don't want to have conf, confront, you know, I don't want to confront uh, what could potentially be a negative situation. So there's more times in my adult life in my career where I don't speak, I don't speak, I don't speak, I don't speak, I don't speak. And then I get to a point where I'm like, okay, now's the time to have a conversation about something, whether it's, I don't have enough, you know, work specific, whether I don't have enough people working on the project right now, I don't see my deadlines going to come. I don't, I don't have, my client isn't listening to me. And you want to talk to somebody about that, whether it's a superior, whether it's your boss and you feel that like your heart is beating really fast and you feel the tears coming. I wish Earlier in my life, I figured out how to, and I, it could happen till I'm 99 and they put me six feet under, how to be able to speak when I want to be heard, when it's not confrontational and be articulate without that like choked up feeling behind it. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know whether someone can teach you to, to do that earlier. I don't know. But that's something I've always struggled with. And I know I feel like a lot of people do and a lot of women do is that you get to a point where you're like, I have to speak now. And then you're labeled because God forbid you a tear falls when, because you're so passionate about what you're, we want to talk about. I've been in, in moments and in meetings and I'm like, I can feel it coming. And then you're, then you're not, you're losing the thought of what you want to talk about because you're trying to fight back the fact that you feel this way. That's what I wish. I wish I, I wish earlier on 
this little birdie on my shoulder could, could teach me how to control that emotion, which I don't necessarily, I'm contradicting myself because at the same time, I'm like, I don't necessarily know. It wouldn't be me. I wouldn't be me. Right. I guess. Well, passion drives us and it's what guts us here to where we are, but maybe, I don't know if it's control. I don't know. Maybe to channel it through the right way to be able to get the results you need. I don't know if we're ever going to get rid of labels. I hope we do. What would you say is your favorite thing about your job? Everything. Everything. I love project managing. I, I, I am so confident to say now that I'm really good at it, but it took me, you know, I've been out of college 25 years. So with all those different jobs that I've had and all the people I've met and all the clients I've worked with and, and good, bad, and indifferent, everything. I love scheduling. I love managing money. I love talking to clients. I love working on the shop floor with, with the teams, with all the teams. And that's the one thing too. I think the other thing to say about project management is that expression, jack of all trades, master of none. Like I went to school for technical direction, production management. I studied how to, how to technical design drawings. I learned AutoCAD. I learned how to install a show in a theater. So all of those things, but as a project manager, I don't, and I was a carpenter, I don't get to work on a shop floor. I don't use AutoCAD as much in, in the role or hadn't been because I had teams of people. So I had technical designers. We had team leaders for carpentry, steel, automation, the art department, logistics. So you are managing the people that are the experts at those things. That was one of my favorite things. I, I, I knew enough about certain areas because I had hands-on experience with it and other ones I didn't, but you got to manage the people that knew that really, really well. Does that make sense? So part of my love of project management was the scheduling and the money and the clients and everything else, but it was managing the teams and then watching everything kind of come to fruition and, and, and to completion to then break down, go on a truck or a sea container or whatever to get to the, the location that it's going to, to then watch those teams put it all to back together to make it the final result. My favorite. It is, it's like a drug. It's so good because it was, it was, there were the parts where I would, I'm a perfectionist, I guess. So trying to get to the point where you figure out your systems and how they work and what doesn't work and then rotating it and then switching this and then changing that spreadsheet. And then someone's giving you a spreadsheet for like you're tweaking those things and maybe it's color fonts or whatever, like the tools and the ability to, to, uh, to juggle all of those things. I love it <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and so what's one thing you would change about your job? If you, then if you love all of it. I don't know. You're always tweaking. You're always adjusting. You're always, I don't know. I don't know that there's one specific thing that I would change depending on the client, depending on the market, depending on the project. You, you, I might change. I've done this style project before. So now that I'm doing it, I would do di this differently specific to that. You know, so like if I was doing a Broadway show and I was working with one client, and I saw something that didn't work and was doing another Broadway show, I might tweak that thing specific to that. If I was working on a corporate event, same thing. If I was working on a permanent install, same thing. So I don't know that there's one specific thing that I would change. I would probably, it, dep it would depend on, I don't know if that's a good answer. Like, I, I don't know. 
it, it would it would be probably project specific. What about one thing about the industry that you change? So many times I just see that like scary to even put this on a video. Like it's the fact that you watch, you sit there and you watch the holier than thou and better than thou type. I have all the answers and I'm always right. And I don't know that that's necessarily misogyny, but there is a world where if you could snap your fingers in any given situation so that you, the things that you recognize and you see happening that the person of power could see so many things over the past couple of years. And you're like, yeah, that people are starting to get in trouble and recognized for it. And then there's other things that I see and I'm like, I don't understand that per se or why that person is, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a mixed bag, but just so many moments of just this misogynistic attitudes to things. And you're just like, you just want to throw your hands up and go, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go over here now and get over yourself. I'll be back. You know, like, ay, ay, ay. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Can't worms open. If people wanted to learn more about you or reach out to you, is that something that you'd be willing to establish contact with people? How could they reach out? Absolutely. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a whole huge uh, social media presence. I am on Facebook. Uh, it's Bonnie J. Howland, H-O-W-L-A-N-D. And then my email is Bonnie J. Howland at Outlook.com. So You can reach out in those ways. Say that you saw me here with you. They can reach out to you. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm comfortable in my skin. I hopefully I, I don't, I don't watch this later and go, Oh, that was awful. I don't know. I, I, I joke. And I've said this to a lot of people and they could say, I love being me now. Like everyone grows, you know, you, you learn, you have your good days and your bad days, but I, in more situations than not, I love being me now. I love how I've grown. I love my family. I love my partner. I love all the people I've met along the way. I love having conversations about things. I love working with the students, which is something I never in a million years would thought I would do. I like having helping them figure out how to work through moments that they they I have a problem and you're all hunched in on yourself and sad and defeated and I'll go, you know, just talking about all right, put the problem over here. Let's figure out the steps in which to fix it. And then you see somebody just kind of open up and like, ah, like just, just being a light for someone is what my, you know, I hope I'm like Betty White and that, you know, I live a really, really long time and people can say, I, I met Bonnie or I got to work with Bonnie or whatever. That's, that's my, that's my goal. My kids, friends, I love that about them. Like, I'm the, the silly mom. I don't ever want to be the embarrassing mom, but I'm the one that they all, they talk about stuff with and sounding board and stuff, which is fun. But I love being me and I love talking to people. So if people want to talk to me, <laughs> reach out. Well, thank you very much for talking to me today <laughs> and being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Theater at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.